So this is the second week um, of our new series through the first letter uh, that St. Peter wrote to the churches in Asia. And so we are going to be exploring this letter a little bit more. I would encourage you to grab the Bible in your pew or if you've brought one with you from home and turn to 1 Peter. We'll be in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 13 through the end. So Peter wrote this letter to newly baptized, born-again Christians throughout Asia in the dispersion, the diaspora, in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Christians all in these areas, and especially those who were new Christians, seems to be the focus. There's one thing that, that Peter really wants to hammer into them, and it's an identity. Peter starts off saying, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion. Peter calls them exiles. And he's hearkening to uh, um, an Old Testament Israelite idea. When the, the people of Israel sinned against God, he booted them out of the land, and they were exiles in Babylon. Now, eventually, they made their way back into the land, but they were always under foreign rulers and occupation, and they never truly returned from exile. Their temple always paled in comparison to what it once had been. They never really had a true Israelite on the throne, so they were still in exile. Peter uses this term, exile, and he repurposes it for the people of God post-Christ. And he's trying to get at something. Nowadays, we're going to start resonating more and more with the language of exile. We're at a point in our culture today that as the church starts to know what it feels like, feels like to be exiled, to be foreign, to not belong, to be aliens in a strange land. So the church in America and in the West once lived off of the prestige that it had in history which no longer is, and is crumbling and eroding into the ocean, metaphorically. So we're starting to know what it feels like to be foreigners, to have a different spiritual allegiance, a different culture that we're surrounded by and that we're in in the world. And this is by design. See, God has called us, the, the community of the church, the culture of the church, to be distinguished, to be different. Exiles in a place with a very different culture and spiritual allegiance. The question is, how does God call us to live? The command we heard Peter uh, uh, bring up, resurface from the Old Testament, is this. You shall be holy, for I am holy. You shall be holy, for I am holy. This is the dominating thought behind the second half of 1 Peter chapter 1. The first half being the good news of Jesus. Blessed be God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has caused us to be born again to a living hope. The incredible thing Jesus has done by, by coming for us for our salvation. And then Peter pivots and says in verse 13, therefore. And the therefore... The dominating idea is be holy as God is holy. 
So let's explore this command. It comes from the Old Testament, from the book of Leviticus. And it's predominantly about being distinct and different in culture. This command is to us, you shall be holy. The idea of a command like this is that there's an expectation like we should be capable of fulfilling it in some way. The word holy, um, it, it, it means transcendent, other, set apart, distinct. God himself is the example of what holiness is. It's his prime attribute. God is not like anything within the world in one sense in that he's not made up of matter. He's outside of space-time. All things are created from him and through him, and he's just different from the world in many ways. That's his transcendence, his holiness. And there's a component of his holiness that God being perfectly good and morally perfect and pure, that's, that, that's one of the ideas that comes across. So this command to be holy as God is holy, we hear Peter say in, in verse 15, but as he who called you is holy, you shall also be holy in all your conduct. There's a sense in which the way that we live our lives and interact with others is, is, is to be morally distinct and distinguished. And there, there's something of, there's something about this that's, it's more, in a, it's more in a context. It's not just you and yourself, but we are called out of the world and into a totally distinct culture and people group. Peter says in, in chapter 2, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of God's own possession. By becoming part of God, or becoming part of God's people, you are called to be distinct, other, as a whole nation, a whole people group. And so as part of this, it's a total way of life for God's people. So that's what this command is getting at. And again, the, uh, the person, the example that we're called to follow is God. Be holy as I am holy. Now, Psalm 116, which is the psalm that we read today, um, in one verse before the one that we read aloud, uh, says this, I said in my alarm, all mankind are liars. Well, we're kind of dropping the ball on the whole holiness thing. Um, and that's true of every human in our natural state. We fall short. We stray from the path that God has for us. And this is just kind of our natural default state. And there's a temptation for us who belong to God's people, a temptation to assimilate into culture, to the world that we live in, to not be distinct anymore. So the question really is, is what are we to do? And there's a sense in which God himself has solved the problem. We hear in verse 18 of today's text that knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. God's solution to our unholiness problem, to our falling short of God's command to us problem, is by sending his son Jesus, a perfect and a spotless person, like a lamb without blemish or spot. Holiness in the flesh 
God's holiness in person with us. That's how God bridged the gap between his holiness and fallen humanity, is through the person of Jesus. And specifically through his sacrifice, his resurrection and glory, and then the sprinkling of his blood. That might sound creepy to us, but there's a sense in the Old Testament in which the blood of sacrifices was intended to purify. And the blood of Jesus as holiness in the flesh covering us makes us sacred, cleanses us of our past, cleanses us of the wickedness that we have inherited. And through Jesus and his, re- and his manifestation, his resurrection, his glory, and his precious blood, we can be made holy. And we can receive this gift through two things. One is through faith, and the other is through baptism. In Acts uh, 2, verse 38, Peter himself says to the people, he says, what should we do? He says, repent and be baptized. In his thought, that his, his, um, his letter that those are the two things that he mentions over and over again. On, the first, on, on one hand, he says, he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Because of what God has done through Jesus, we can trust in him, and, and that trust is a reception of the gift that he has for us. And the way that we live this out is through baptism. First Peter is addressed to newly baptized believers. He says, again, he starts off this letter, Blessed be God, the Father of our Lord Jesus, who has caused us to be born again. He repeats the born again language in today's text. And then in chapter 3 of First Peter, in 3.21, he speaks about baptism, which is fresh on the mind of a lot of these who are listening and reading this letter. Baptism, which corresponds to this, saves you as an appeal to God for a good and clean conscience. These are newly minted, newly baptized Christians. And by being buried into Christ and raised with him through the waters of baptism, we can have new life. We are born again. We become what Peter calls spiritual newborn infants, children, babes of the Father. And by being regenerate in this way, we can be holy. In fact, we are made holy through our union with Jesus. So this is the means by which God makes us holy through Jesus and our trust in him and our being plunged through the waters of baptism. So there's a sense in which, if this is true of you, you are already holy. You are already set apart. You no longer belong to the world as it is. You've been transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of God's beloved son, Jesus. You no longer belong. You are an exile, a foreigner, a stranger. You belong part of a holy, distinct nation. So this is already true. And at the same time, not yet. Because Peter finds it necessary to still say and repeat the command, be holy as your heavenly Father is holy. So the command to be holy still stands. And here's the thing. 
If you've been regenerate, you have a regenerate, a new heart, and you can obey God. Not perfectly, but this is a new possibility because you have been born again. You are a new person with a new purified heart and a soul through regeneration. Again, this is holy in context as part of God's culture, God's people, the holy nation. So what does pursuing holiness look like for us? St. Peter gives us helpful um, guidance and exhortations. In today's text, in verse 13, he starts off by saying, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, he starts off by, by mentioning this. There's a sense in which we need to have a sober mind. Our inward state needs to be sober, serious, and focused. In verse 14, he says, Don't be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. The lusts that once dominated and controlled us, we need to dethrone, to be sober in our mind and focus to pursue holiness. And in the world and the culture today, what's inward really defines the outward. We, we see um, um, how, I, like, inwardly how I feel my own identity and, and things along this line. That, that's really what's most true as opposed to what's beyond us. But that's not true of, of God's people, of those who've been born again. Because what's most true of us is God himself has called us. God himself has given us a new identity. God himself has called us born again in, our, in, in his beloved children. And so that's what's most true. We need to remember that. So it's not, we need to be sober and have sobriety over the inward passions within us. So that's inwardly. But there's also the outwardly behavior that we have and exhibit. We're called to put away wicked behavior. 1 Peter 2, we hear him say, put away all malice deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander. This is simply a list of sins. And these are the, the places of conflict between the holy culture of God and the surrounding culture in Peter's day and age. But these are still sins that people struggle with today. But in our day and age, there are other things that might be pinch points, places of conflict between the culture of the, the holy culture of God and then the world surrounding us, radical autonomy, gender, sexuality, anti-natalism, anti-family, a general view that the, the church has this kind of low status to it in our modern culture. There's many ways in which God's culture is in conflict with the world around us and creeps into the church. And so we're called to put away, though, Wicked behavior, outwardly obey. So there's inwardly obey by sobriety over our passions, outwardly obey by putting away these um, uh, wicked behaviors. But then we're called by Peter to pursue love for others. This is what Peter says. Love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Have a sincere brotherly love for others. Jesus summarizes the law by saying, you know, the law is to love God and to love neighbors. And through having a new purified heart, we can love, not perfectly, but we can love others. 
There's two different ways that you and I can do this. One is to people who are your enemies, you can pray for them. This is actually how Jesus tells us to love. He says, love your enemies, like those people who would want to behead you or maybe just would, would want to key your car or slash your tires. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Now, you can still end up inwardly hating people that you're praying for, but this is a step in the right direction. Another step you could take is to have a table laid out and to welcome others to it. Father Benji has called us the past two weeks to feast because it's Eastertide. And so to, to be obedient to that, we can make a feast and then invite people to it to love them. Maybe invite some people that you don't like uh, or do, who don't like you. That might be a little bit more difficult, but that's one way that you can love others to exhibit a holy love. And one last thing, Peter also gets at inward motivation for us, an inward perspective that drives our pursuit of holiness. And he mentions on one level a, a, a reverence for God, but also a hope in the mercies of Christ. For reverence, he, he wants to call to mind that God will judge everyone's outward behaviors on the last day. He says, if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. It's not fear like a fear of some violent retribution, but a holy and sober reverence, knowing that it was costly what God has done through Jesus to redeem you. But also, looking at that last day, having a hope on the grace that is coming at the revelation of Jesus. Knowing that Jesus brings grace, and on the last day, he has promised to look favorably on you and trust in him. Therefore, preparing your minds for action, being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. These perspectives should help us as we pursue holiness in our lives. So God has called us to holiness, to be a distinct people for him. Be holy as I am holy. So in a positive way, why should we pursue holiness? Peter begins his letter by speaking about a holy inheritance, a treasure that is waiting for us, greater than any of the riches or rewards on this earth, and it's a holy one. He says, Blessed be God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he's caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, that's, it's holy, unfading and kept in heaven for you. That's what's waiting for you. And that's why we pursue holiness in our life. So what pressures do you feel to assimilate to the culture of the world? We're called to be distinct. Um, it's not necessarily natural for us. We don't like being sticking out like a sore th thumb. If you've ever been to some sort of formal event, but you went in 
like short sleeves and a, and a, a print t-shirt and flip-flops, uh, as I have a few times, you know that you don't want to stand out. And ostracization is becoming a big thing in our day and age. And so where are the pressures that you feel to assimilate to the culture of the world around you? Maybe you have family members or friends who've gone a different way in thought, word, or deed and have treated you not so nicely because you've not followed them there or not assented to their going down that path. There'll be more and more pressures as time goes on to not be distinct. But we're called to that. In fact, we're called to that as a whole people. Not just individuals, not alone, but as a holy nation together as a church. To be holy as God our Father is holy. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, and by it, through it, the spiritual milk, we are being built up into the body of Christ. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us in our pursuit of being different, set apart, and holy in our life. We thank you for the work you've done in our baptisms and by implanting faith within us to trust and cling to you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But we pray, Lord, that you would help us in our pursuit of being set apart and holy in our lives through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.